Christians. Well, last Sunday evening, I shared part one in what I believed was going to be a two-part series of messages titled Exegeting the Book of Jude. What does it mean to exegete? It means to extract from the soil of the text the precious gems God has placed there for us to have. And so, exegeting the book of Jude, if you make your way to the book of Jude, just in front of the book of Revelation, but it's not going to be a two-part, it's going to be a (laughs) three-part. Because the more I dug into this soil of treasures, the more treasures I found. And so, couldn't complete it last week, uh, and I recognized that two or three days ahead of time. Thought I was going to finish last week, uh, only to... Uh, find out, uh, or finish this week, only to find out that no, uh, that won't work either. I do believe, though, that next Sunday morning uh, we will uh, finish the book of Jude. And as you remember, it's the companion book to Second Peter, and both of them uh, have the theme found in verse 3 that you should earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. The faith, it's a definite article, that is the actual written Word of God. So we'll read the book of Jude right now and, and, do, and do a real quick review before getting into uh, this middle section. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, who kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. In like manner also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran speedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and uh, perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about by winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots." 
raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convict all that are ungodly among them of all of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth uh, speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These are they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit." We're going to study today, verses 8 through 19, finishing up, Lord willing, next Sunday. And just by way of quick review, last Sunday evening, we got down through the outline and point through, but a quick overview. The author, as I'd mentioned last week, uh, was written by Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, the brother of James, who pastored the church at Jerusalem. And it's all but certain that uh, Jude wrote, after James's brother was dead, after Peter was dead, very shortly after that, and very shortly after the Apostle Paul was dead. And so other than the Apostle John, who was still alive but not really uh, on the scene, uh, Jude was really the go-to person as a leader, uh, and he indicated in verse 1, the brother of Uh, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Uh, Spirit of God wanted us to know for sure who this was writing this letter. And then the audience at the end of verse 1 indicates that it's believers in general. And then the outline for the book uh, of Jude, and I did an an exegesis with each point. I was exegeting, lifting out of the text uh, and showing us the treasures, the, the golden nuggets that God has for us from this passage, the preamble, verses 1 and 2. And by, way, by the way, uh, if, uh, if you didn't hear last week, then you can certainly go online to our website and uh, look that up under the sermons. And it was uh, from um, November 13th, the p.m. service. And then the purpose. Uh, every book has a purpose. And of course, this is to equip God's people to defend the faith. Um, the why it was written is verse 3, and the what. The what is that there are certain um, uh, heretics who have crept in to the church. And then uh, in uh, verses 5 through 7, uh, it brought uh, uh, some past history. It told us about the, uh, the, history, uh, the, the historical uh, um, aspect of heretics. In, in verse 7, and unbelievers, the three root causes of departing from the faith Verse 5 said it was because of sinful unbelief, Israel um, going and not believing God in the wilderness. And in verse 6, it speaks of consuming pride. Uh, The angels left their first estate, and probably that's referencing the Genesis chapter uh, 6, where... uh, uh, demons incarnated into men uh, and uh, and uh, procreated with women and uh, and uh, and all the rest and and the Lord has captured those demons so they'll not repeat that ever again and they're held in bondage and then in verse seven the other reason for uh, apostasy is moral impurity and if you'll notice in verse seven uh, it gives only one reason why God destroyed not only Sodom not only Sodom and Gomorrah, but all of the surrounding cities. 
And folks, in our day of political correctness, we want to rewrite Scripture, that is, people do, and say uh, that uh, an alternative uh, uh, sexual orientation is perfectly legitimate. This verse uh, makes it crystal clear that there's only one reason why God judged it, and it was because of strange fornication. Not, not regular fornication, not natural fornication, but unnatural uh, uh, promiscuity, unnatural sexual sin. And notice, I, I, picked, I, I thought about this this week. Maybe I heard it. I don't, I don't know that I heard it. But notice it says in verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, they went after strange flesh in a fornicating way, and they're an example of judgment. Which one of the cities turned away the visitors? Which one of the cities was inhospitable toward the visitors? Sodom was. Only Sodom was. And yet, which cities were destroyed? Sodom, Gomorrah, and all the other surrounding ones. Well, Gomorrah wasn't inhospitable. All the other cities weren't inhospitable to those heavenly visitors. But, but yet, all of those cities were destroyed. Were they destroyed for inhospitality? No, the text says they were destroyed for going after strange flesh in a fornicating way. This, isn't, this, is, this, this issue is closed. The answer is given to us of why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. The bottom line, folks, is God has ordained heterosexuality as the norm for humanity, and he has called an abomination any other type of activity among, um, among his created order. Now, this world does not like to hear that. The battle uh, and the argument is not with me. You tell me what verse 7 means if it doesn't mean what I just uh, said that it meant. That's the plain English. of That's the plain understanding. They were destroyed, all of those cities, because they were, had strange immorality. Unusual, unnatural immorality. Okay, so left off with that last Sunday evening. Today, we pick up with verses 8 through 19 with one point, and that is the present. What actually was going on at the time of the writing? Verses 8 through 19. Uh, And the warning, of course, is apostasy. And it goes back to verse 4. Notice in verse 8. In like manner also. In what kind of like manner? Well, in the same manner as in verse 4. That's where it really goes back to there. Uh, All the rest is parenthetical. Verse 4 says, For there were certain men who had crept in unaware. Back in the day, there were those who crept in. And in like manner, right now, presently, there are heretics in the church. We know this refers to them because of the ungodly men in verse 4. John MacArthur wrote, the same features that make political terrorists so dangerous in the world make apostate teachers even more dangerous in the church because they often come disguised as angels of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, or wolves in sheep's clothing, Matthew 7, 15. Apostates are difficult to identify. Political terrorists can inflict material damage and physical death. But apostates, that is those who have departed from orthodoxy, Disguised as genuine teachers can subvert God's truth and entice people to believe damning lies. Hence, 
the dangerous nature. And so Jude said, at that time, there were apostates in the churches, and certainly we can understand that the warning extends to us as well. Now, a couple of sub-points with some, a lot of notes to take if you're taking notes. First of all, the characteristics of these heretics or these apostates. And we see the characteristics in verses 8 through uh, the middle of verse 13 as well as verse 16. Now, if you'll notice in verse 8, it says, in like manner also, also these filthy dreamers. Very interesting exegesis on that. This word is, is a reference to a revelatory dream. It is not a reference to dreams that we have. Uh, uh, I dream, I dreamt that an animal was chasing me, and I, uh, and he almost was ready to capture me, and I woke up. Or I dreamed, I dreamt that I was falling off uh, something, and just before I hit, I woke up, and my heart was pounding. It's not that kind of a dream. That's not the word. There is a word for that in the Word of God that describes normal dreams that we all have. That is not what this is. This word is only found in one other place in Scripture, and it's in the future tense in that, uh, in that particular place, and it's found in Acts 2, 16 and 17. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. That, that right there is that word. And that is, this is t- describing the tribulation period just before the millennium. And it is saying that in that time, God is going to give revelation. He's going to uh, reveal himself in these, this type of dream. And yet, 2,000 years ago, there were those who claimed God was speaking to them new revelation in dreams. In other words, God spoke to me. He appeared to me in a dream. And he said this, that, and the other thing. Um, And Jude called them ungodly heretics. Folks, in our day, we are inundated with this type of tomfoolery. We are are overwhelmed, especially in our area, that God spoke to me. You can have a word of knowledge. You can have some kind of special truth. Uh, He can communicate to you in in an active way, even going on right now. To him who has ears to hear, let him hear, because I think many of you know uh, what I'm referencing that he is speaking. He is, uh, uh, we're living in the day of the prophetic. No, we're not. We are not to be receiving, and, and in fact, we're not receiving dreams like what this prophecy is in the book of Acts. And it's future tense in the book of Acts. And Jude said there were those who were claiming it even in that day. Now, was God giving those in Jude's day these special dreams of Revelation? No. They, they were frauds. They were heretics. But they were claiming that he was. I have a word from God. And, it, and it's always, if you'll notice, uh, it's always gets bigger and grander and better with every retelling of it. It's kind of like a fish story, you know? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm glad I'm not a fisherman. I go fishing once every 25 years, whether I need to or not. Uh, it's just, you know, can you imagine me sitting on the side of a bank, you know, just kind of sitting there? I'd, be, I'd have ants in my pants, you know? I just, I couldn't sit still that long. Uh, but if I did, you'd probably hear a fish story, and it would grow and grow and grow, and it'd get bigger and it'd get grander each time I tell you. Can you appreciate what I'm saying? That is what is go- was going on in that day, and it's still going on in our day. Now, either that is happening, or it is not. And I'm here to say, I'm convinced of the authority of God, God's Word, that we are to contend and defend for the faith 
once delivered to the saints, and the word of God, the canon, is closed. And God is not giving new revelation in our day. Or he is. And if he is, then it's anyone's guess what is authoritative and what isn't. We know that the word of God, the written word of God, is authoritative. It's dangerous ground. The characteristic of those heretics. Now, uh, in very, uh, a lot of specificity, and I'll just run through it. Characterized by practicing immorality. Uh, that is, they defile the flesh. We see that at the first part of verse 8. It's a reference to one's physical body used for sin. In the middle of verse 8. Characterized by resisting authority. They despise dominion. That is, speaking against God-ordained authority. Now, Jude is written two and four, the local church and local church members. So it very well could be in context. I don't think it's outside. It, it, might, uh, it might refer refer to governmental authorities and all, uh, uh, political authorities that we have. But it also could very well be speaking about authority structure within the church. They despise it because, after all, a heretic, he wants to be the one. Uh, he wants to have the show. He, wa- he wants to have the platform. And so how do you do that? Well, you gotta, you got to remove the one who is God-ordained authority so that you can take over. You despise dominion. You despise authority. You appreciate the, uh, the, the view there? That, that is not a... Uh, uh, that is a, a speculative view, but I think it, it has merit for us to consider. And then also characterized by speaking blasphemy, speak evil of dignities there at the end of verse 8. Speaking evil of dignities. What does that mean? Well, it's not speaking of the Lord. It's not referencing the Lord because first it's a plural noun and it's feminine. And so almost certainly it is... Speaking of angels, the, uh, uh, the dignities, the, uh, the, glo- the word is glory, uh, the glorious ones, but it's plural. And, uh, and again, it is feminine, and so it very, almost certainly is referencing angels. We can also know that from the context, because you'll notice in verse 9, it speaks of Michael the archangel. It goes right into Michael the archangel. Now, do y'all, do y'all see how the exegesis is being done here? You're, you're, you take the words uh, and you start tearing apart words in the grammar, in the vocabulary and all, and then you consider all that in light of the context and you bring uh, interpretation and application from that. So what is going on in this? Well, the issue had to do with Moses dying and God said, I'm going to, in Deuteronomy 34, he's going to be buried somewhere that no one's going to know. No one is going to know. Why didn't God want the people to know where Moses was buried? Worship, veneration. Let's, let's dig him up and, and let's put him in a glass casket so that we can come and bow before him for the next few millennia. You say, people do, never do that. I was in just, just in St. Peter's Basilica and it's going on this very day uh, in Rome right now. Absolutely, it went, not with Moses, by the way. <laughs> he looked pretty bad by now, although the 150-year-old dead pope looked pretty bad, I might say. Uh, so it is going on. People will uh, yield to idolatry if given the opportunity. So God said, I'm not even going to give you that opportunity. We're going to bury him. And so Michael the archangel was charged with that responsibility, and the devil didn't like that. He wanted to blaspheme uh, the things of God, and so he confronted Michael. But notice in verse 9, Michael did not contend it's the word for blaspheme. Michael would not even blaspheme Satan, but said, I'm just going to let God talk to you about this. 
And, uh, and, so, and so the point is, Jude is saying, these guys are so haughty that they think they can just bark uh, and an angel will do their bidding. Or a, a, a demon will flee. I rebuke you, demon. No, Michael wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that with Satan. Who do you think you are in thinking you can control demons or you can control the devil? It's just haughtiness. It's spiritual arrogance to think such a thing. And if, if folks like that would read the book of Jude, hopefully they would walk away embarrassed that who do I think I am saying that I can bark around, I can boss around and, and snap my fingers and the devil is going to jump because I say some kind of abracadabra phrase. Jude is saying these are ungodly heretics. Even Michael, the archangel, would not presume to do that. In fact, 2 Peter 2, 10b and 11 teaches very much the same thing, where it says, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Very same thing. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might than a, than a mere man, bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. Even the angels, the good angels, will not rail and blaspheme Satan and demons. And yet there are those heretics who are so full of self that they presume to be able to take charge of Satan and demons. You all following this at all? I mean, 2,000 years ago it went on. It's happening today. All over the place, seemingly, in the professing Christian world. <clears throat> it's charismania on steroids. And that was the case when Moses, um, God's glory being manifest through angels, the case when Moses was given the law on Mount Sinai. In fact, Stephen, the deacon, alluded to this in Acts 7 when he said, in, and, and it, it's given in Psalm 68, 17, the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. And so <clears throat> Jude said, that Michael the archangel would not rebuke or blaspheme Satan. Satan. No, he didn't, ha he wasn't, he didn't have that authority. He, he didn't have that power to take charge of Satan. And nor do you. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord will take care of you. It's just haughtiness and trying to gain a following. Because after all, if you are so spiritual as to be able to boss Satan around, well, I want on your team, right? I mean, it'd be like uh, uh, having uh, uh, Goliath as the center on your basketball team. I went on that team. <laughs> We're going to win, right? Until David comes along. And, and, and Goliath isn't so, isn't so great after all. Okay, continuing on with the characteristics. Characterized by exhibiting stupidity. And I don't really use that word much, but it says here, just like an animal, a dumb animal. These speak evil of those things they don't know. And what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. And so folks, no matter how educated, no matter how erudite, no matter how charming, false teachers are characterized by immorality, rebelliousness, blasphemous. They are blind, arrogant, and stupid because they have access to the written word of God just like you do and just like I do. And yet, 
want to strut stuff, one's own stuff, and gain a following and uh, be able to laud, uh, lord your, your uh, control over other people. Also, verses 11 through the middle of verse 13, they're characterized by hiding their hypocrisy. By definition, if someone who's a hypocrite, he does so discreetly or subtly so as to appear greater than he is. Notice that in verse 11, woe unto them. They've gone in the way of Cain. Cain pretended to bring an acceptable offering. God saw through it and said, nope, your offering is not acceptable. They have ran greedily after the error of Balaam. What is that? Well, he pretended to be God's spokesman, but was able to be bought and, and speak a lie, and God brought truth to light. And then it says, uh, after the, the, uh, the gainsaying, uh, the trickery of Korah, the rebellion of Korah, his followers were going to overthrow Moses and Aaron, but God swallowed them up. And the summary is, in verse 12, these are spots in your love feast. The word spot, you have a different word? It's hidden reef. It's what the Titanic hit, uh, uh, an iceberg that it really couldn't see, at least it couldn't see to the, uh, the magnitude, and it was hidden. Uh, it was hypocritical. The, the ocean was hypocritical. The ocean was saying, good sailing, and yet there was a spot. There was a hidden reef which caused it to sink. That's what it is in the church, and they don't care. Notice in verse, uh, in verse 11, um, these are, or verse 12, there are spots in your love streets when they feast with, with you, feeding themselves without fear. They don't care. They're, they're fine with your faith being uh, upset, with you doubting, uh, with you not being equipped to stand for God. We're given the warning that in the church there will be these types of folks. Notice also in verse 12, uh, it says they're clouds without water. What is that? It promises refreshment, but it only allows the drought to continue because there's no water. Notice at the end of verse 12, they're fruit, uh, uh, fruit trees without any fruit. They promise nourishment, but they can't deliver. And notice at the end of verse 12, these folks, they, they're fruitless and they're without root. They're plucked up. They're fruitless. They're rootless. They don't have any capacity to stand against uh, uh, the strong winds that blow in our lives. They just are toppled over. Verse 13, they're like ocean waves. That is, they look majestic, they look powerful, but they never can bring life. They can only bring a tsunami of destruction. And at the end of verse 13, heretics. They're, not, they're, uh, they're wandering stars. They're not a fixed star from which you can get your bearings. Folks, I, I hope you see, uh, and I want to be a fixed star. That is, you're looking at me, and you're taking direction from me because I am not wandering. I am fixed. Uh, I have one source of truth. Amen? And it's not my truth. You are just as able to study for yourselves being like the Bereans to also figure out what the Word of God says. And I'm doing that uh, with the best of my capacity, and I trust that you are as well. We are fixed stars, but heretics are wandering stars. And you can't get your bearings from a wandering star. And then also in these characteristics, they spew 
animosity. Notice in verse 16, they're murmurs, complainers. They walk after their own lusts. And their mouths speak great swelling words uh, because of wanting to be admired by other people to gain an advantage on them. It identifies these qualities. They're grumblers, those who, who cast blame. They live in debauchery, and they're looking uh, to blaspheme God while flattering people in order to get ahead. Notice in verse 15 the fourfold statement of ungodly. How ungodly these folks are. And Jesus spoke about it. Matthew 15, 18 and 19. It says in Matthew 15, 18 and 19, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. And so these folks in the church in that present time, back then, 2,000 years ago, were characterized by this. And nothing has changed. We see all of these characteristics even in our day. My, the book of Jude is contemporary. It is for us right now. Those were the characteristics of the heretic. Secondly, uh, under point four, the present reality, the judgment of the heretics. The judgment, notice at the end of verse 13 through vi- verse 15, this judgment is reserved forever. And if you would notice in verse 13, at the end of verse 13, uh, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now look at verse four of the same book. Look at verse four. For these are certain men who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Do you remember from last Sunday night what the grammar is on those verbs or participles? Middle passive. It's both. It's not both. It's written the same way. Both of them, whether it's the middle voice or the passive voice. So in other words, you have to interpret it. And and I don't have a, a strong pony in the race here, but a little bit. It's either they ordained themselves, middle voice, or they were ordained by an outside source, namely God. Uh, I'm convinced that all people are condemned already. God does not need to, for lack of a better way to phrase it, it sounds pragmatic, uh, he doesn't need to ordain them actively to condemnation because they're already condemned, John chapter 3. Therefore, they have ordained themselves, middle voice, and either one is... Um, is a, is a possibility. So they, uh, they're going into condemnation. Um, also notice that the condemnation was prophesied all the way back to Enoch. Notice in this text, it says, and Enoch also, Enoch told, told us about that. That is, he, the Lord's coming with ten thousands of his saints, verse 14. What's he going to do? Verse 15, he's going to execute judgment upon all of these ungodly folks. And so Jude is saying concerning those heretics who had all those characteristics, judgment is coming. In fact, it's right around the corner. Rob Phillips, the director of the Apologetics Network of the Missouri Baptist Convention and uh, the editor of the, uh, the journal that I referenced earlier, said, in the end, the apostate strikes, strikes a fatal blow to himself, for he has passed the point of no return. And like the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day, brings upon himself greater damnation. Notice the description of this judgment. 
Notice the description of this judgment in verse um, 15. It said it'll be personal. That is, God will judge. God is the one bringing, he's going to convict all. Notice also uh, that it is universal. That is, it's upon all. It's familial. That is, God's children will come with him. The Lord will come with ten thousands of his saints. I'm sorry, that was in verse 14 I was referencing. And it's judicial. That is, criminals deserve it. The judgment of the heretics is certain for one day. And then finally, the warning. The warning of heretics. The warning about heretics. Verses 17 through 19, it says, But beloved, verse 17, remember these words. Make sure you understand that in any age in church history, from Jude forward, so around 769 A.D. until 2023, in a couple of months, and all parts in between, there are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing in the church. Just recognize it. Don't forget that. We're given that warning. <clears throat> the church has been given the warning to convince us of the need to beware and stand against theological heresy. You say, preacher, what difference does it make if someone else believes something differently? It's not so much that someone else believes something differently than you do. Uh, it's that someone else believes something unorthodox and ascends to have a voice in the local church. That is cancer in your body. Uh, that is a wolf in the sheep pen with the wolves. You appreciate the, uh, the danger there. That is what the warning that's being sent out by Jude and is certainly um, evident in our days. Uh, notice, notice in verse uh, 17, and this is important as well. Remember the words, okay, what words? Spoken by the apostles of the Lord. Well, that got me thinking, okay, what words were spoken by the apostles? I can't even give you all of them. There's some, uh, I, I'd be giving you the New Testament. I'd be giving you Romans uh, through Jude if I, if I gave you. Let me just give you a, 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 an example of that. Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. Notice also, last days, men shall be, uh, perilous times shall come, men shall be lovers of them, their own selves. And, and then all of that description, just write down the reference and you can look at it. Paul gave the warning in his final book in 2 Timothy. Paul also spoke to the leaders of the church at Ephesus, the very same church. Uh, written to 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy is written to the church at Ephesus, uh, and he's speaking to the church at Ephesus. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I want that testimony. When I'm, um, when I'm on my last sermon here, I want it to me to be able to say, I have not backed away from preaching, thus saith the Lord to you. Whether I've liked it or whether I haven't liked it, whether I fully understand it or whether, whether I haven't, this is the word of God. This is the faith once delivered unto the saints, stand on the truth of it. Amen? And so Paul said, I've not shunned to do this, so take heed and to all, for yourselves and to all the flock over which, it's talking to the pastors, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the flock, flock which he's purchased with his own blood. For this I know, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. They don't care about the people. They don't, care. they don't care if lives are destroyed. So you leaders in the church, beware. The Apostle Paul gave us warnings. The Apostle Peter 
gave us warnings. In 2 Peter 2, 1 and 2, but there were false prophets among the people, even, that is in the Old Testament, even as there shall be false teachers among you. What do they do? They, they privately, they secretly bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord and salvation. Watch out, Peter said, they're coming to get you as well. And then the apostle John spoke to it as well. Beloved, believe not, chapter 4 and verse 1 of 1 John. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And so the message of the book of Jude, it's odd to me, and I've been contemplating this today, this morning. Why would the Lord have providentially allowed us to have a song service filled with glorious, uh, majestic, sweet music about Thanksgiving and all, and then have scheduled, and I didn't put this down, I didn't move this message for this particular service intentionally, I didn't move it away intentionally. It just fell where it fell. You all follow me? Why is that? Maybe so that we can, in one heart and, and voice, say, God, thank you, we have truth that we believe, and we can trust it. This is not, these are not the words of man. This is, these aren't my words. Uh, this isn't my idea, nor is it your idea. It's thus saith the Lord. I tell you, my heart fills, swells with gratefulness for that. That, and we don't always think about that, of what we're saved from, what we're protected from. We think about uh, during Thanksgiving, the goodies that we actually have. Well, what about what we don't have for which we can be grateful? We don't have heresy. We, we don't have wolves who are present that we're able to identify. And we are committed, bless the Lord, oh my soul, committed to identifying any wolf, identifying, rebuking, correcting, um, and calling to repent or saying hit the road because the flock for whom he died is worthy of protection, instruction, and nourishment. And by his grace and for his glory, there are those here committed to preserving that. Not, not, not in a, a haughty or arrogant way, but in a way of, of doing exactly what Scripture teaches. Be sure there will be those who rise among you to draw away disciples after themselves Watch and remember that we have been warned. May we, in humility, always keep our heart and mind on the truth once revealed to the saints. Lord, I'm thankful for this, your word. And my, this is a heavy text, about as heavy as it gets in Scripture. And yet, you, uh, you gave it. You had it inspired and written so that we might have it, so that we may be warned and protected against theological heresy, uh, those who would divide and seek to conquer and control, and yet we confess, Lord, you are the Lord. You are the one in control. You are the master. And we don't have power and authority over demons or Satan. That is your job. That is your calling. That is your uh, prerogative. But we commit our ways to you 
trust in the Lord, commit our ways unto the Lord. And so uh, God teaches more about what it means to stand for truth, biblical truth, not our own truth, but your truth, and embrace it, defend it, and uh, give you thanks all our days.